Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Butler's podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and with me as always, my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. And each week we try and bring you an intellectually honest discussion about news and events affecting Bitcoin. If you like our content, please like, subscribe, and share. We'll be most appreciative. Well, we were both off on vacation last week, and while I was in the car on my road trip, I was spending some time thinking, and I realized just how early we are in the Bitcoin story. While Bitcoin's been around for 13 and a half years, it is still very early in the global adoption cycle. And this is to be expected because Bitcoin first had to prove itself as a stable network, as well as a technology that really worked and could be trusted. And since then, it has shown itself as being extremely resilient. Matt, I know you have some data on Bitcoin's last outages that affected the network. Yeah, I mean, in general, the Bitcoin network has not been down in going on 10 years. Um, the last outage was in 2013, um, and it was down for several hours, uh, something that had to do with some, uh, some nodes that couldn't handle the size of some transactions um, that rejected some blocks, and it went down while they fixed that. Um, and then... Back in 2010, it was down for several hours. So, you know, you're talking about like 99.99% uptime since inception and, you know, almost 10 years of uninterrupted uh, operation with no network administrator, so to speak. Which I, I used to keep a, like a chart of any time like Google or Microsoft or Apple, any big corporation went down. And I think based on that data, it would make it probably the most reliable network in the world. It's up there. I mean, there's not much that's that's that reliable. I mean, I know that the you know you only have so many. I, I you can only choose between like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Apple, etc. And I don't know anything that that has that kind of uptime, especially when you consider the crazy part that there's no one, there's no network administrator, there's no one running, there's no one in charge of this network. Yet right. it's the most dependable network in the world. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's dive into some of our adoption stories this week, and we can talk about you know kind of where we are in the cycle. I think mm -hmm. that that it's an important um, idea that that you were thinking about on your trip, and we can see very clearly that there's just not. Um, it's not matured to the point where it's being adopted on a massive level, although we're seeing all kinds of adoption happening. Um, so let's uh, let's get into that. I'd actually like to make one point before we get started that yeah, I sure. think is worthwhile is that I'm, I'm sure you've had the same thing as me. Like people tell you like, oh, Bitcoin, I, it's too late to get into Bitcoin. You have to get into Bitcoin in 2012 or it's too late. And I know there are people that got into Bitcoin in 2015 and thought it was too late. And people that got in 2018 and thought it was too late. There seems to be this general thing out there a bit that since it's been around for 13 and a half years, you're too late. And, and sort of the revelation I had when I was thinking about what's going on with it was that while it has been some time and while everyone thinks they got into Bitcoin late, the reality is we're still so early. And I think that some of the stories that we have tonight are going to kind of prove that point a bit. Sure. Um, and I'll, I'll add to that just a little bit is that, you know, I, I was looking at the kind of the adoption of the internet and, you know, the internet's been around for a long time and the World Wide web specifically has been around since 1990. Um, but, you know, in December of 1995, at the end of 1995, less than one half of 1% of the world's population was using the internet. It was like 16 million people. You know, 25 years later, the end of 2020, you have over 5 billion people using it, roughly two thirds of the world. Um, and when you think about that, and when you think about the idea that, you know, you can you can make a correlation between the internet being the world's decentralized information source um, and that it went from basically zero to 5 million people using it in 25 years. It's pretty amazing. Um, mm -hmm. And, and while adoption of Bitcoin is probably going to, it's going to take really 
a really long time for it to be completely adopted. But at the same time, you're talking about massive adoption happening all over the world in pockets. It's not happening. It's not the same as the internet where mm-hmm. all of a sudden everyone has internet access. But this is how these networks kind of evolve is that it starts with a very, very small number of people utilizing it. And it really doesn't, if you think of it in the scheme of things, 25 years is not that long for 5 billion people to adopt something. Um, And, you know, we're only halfway there with, with Bitcoin in terms of how long it's been around. So um, I don't, I don't know that there, that we have a count of how many people own Bitcoin because there's no real way to tell. But when you look at it in terms of, the potential for you know uh, the majority of the world to be able to to adopt it there's still plenty of runway there is and and when i when i look at those stats of the internet the thing that i find that's most surprising was that the biggest jump the biggest 5 year jump was between 2015 and 2020 where the internet gained 1.7 billion users mm mm-hmm. The prior biggest jump was between 2010 and 2015 when it gained 1.4 billion users. But when we talk about that early part of the internet, 1995 to 2000, and you said, well, everyone has internet access. The reality is that only rich people, more or less, when I say rich people, I don't mean people with you know a chauffeur and a butler and <laughs> all those kind of things. I mean, you know, if you, if you draw if you put the world's population, draw a triangle or a pyramid, you put the world's population in there. If you live in the United States, you live in Western Europe, you're pretty rich compared to the rest of the world. Sure. And so a lot of people in the world didn't have internet. And what I see in this data is that, you know, the iPhone came out in 2007. It took a few years for it to kind of gain some traction and for the, all the, the Android clones to be out there. But, but, but in 2005, so two years before iPhone came out, there were 1 billion or 1.02 billion internet users. And 15 years later, after you, you had about 13, 14 years of smartphones, you picked up 4.1 billion. Basically, smartphones got the rest of the world onto the internet. Yeah. And so you could even say with Bitcoin, like Bitcoin couldn't have been ready before that because you need kind of this giant network of people. But really, most of the gains from the Internet came, if we consider the World Wide Web started in 1990, most of the gains actually started coming 25 years later. So if we were to relate that back to Bitcoin, and we're just kind of thinking out loud here, we still got 10 years over 10 years to go to kind of be at that uh, 2015 year. Did I just do that math right or wrong? Yeah, um, I don't know. But, and again, it's, it's hard to make that exact correlation between the Bitcoin and the internet because mm-hmm. it's, I think it's a different user base potentially that you're talking about. But the point is that you get this kind of snowball effect that happens mm-hmm. with any major technology where, like you said, it's just the tip of the pyramid that's able to access it and has the resources to to utilize it. And then over time, it becomes ubiquitous because the cost of the technology goes down and, and innovations happen, like you said, like the smartphone, um, even... You know, I would also argue that sometime probably in that 2000 to 2010 range, even before smartphones, you know, broadband probably had a huge impact as, as well, because the ability to to get fast Internet in your home or to have a cable mm-hmm. modem and all of those kind of things, you know, took some time to be developed. And once those happened, they really helped, you know, accelerate mm-hmm. that adoption. So I think, you know, the, the corollary with Bitcoin is that as we see new technologies come on board, as we see things like the Lightning Network continue to, to grow, um, that's how you're going to see that snowball effect start to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the point I was trying to make, because I've seen some things, it may have been from Paul Krugman, where there's, you know, the argument is, well, it's been around for 13 and a half years and not doing much of anything. Like for a technology to be 13 and a half years old, it's it's like behind the curve. And the reality is that you, you can't have something that has the the 
potential world-changing ability of Bitcoin, especially when we're talking about money, um, unless that network has proven itself. And one of the point is that usually technology is adopted by the richest people, the richest countries. And, and certainly parts of Bitcoin were adopted by the richest countries. But now we might be in this weird technology adoption where some of the poor countries are more eager to get on board and, and the citizens of those countries more eager to get on board than in the richer countries. And we'll see that from some of our stories tonight, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think especially where you have um, a lack of, of financial inclusion in terms of being able to, you know, be within the banking system. A lot mm -hmm. of poor countries may not have a, a central bank. They just utilize, you know, some other country's currency to as their own. Um, all of those types of things really make uh, Bitcoin a prime candidate for adoption for people who, you know, otherwise don't have access to good money. And that's a lot of what we'll see. So, mm -hmm. um, all right, let's let's jump into our stories. Uh, the first one is a U.S. story. The uh, Missouri-based bank, Sullivan Bank, um, is announced a partnership with um, uh, Backed to to enable customers to buy Bitcoin. So we've had a couple of things. Not to be self-serving here, we've had a couple of things which we thought kind of funny. Where where we were first, we've seen things we said on the 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 podcast, which came up uh, like a week or two later, somebody else uh, had a similar thought or news came out that was like that. And um, my vision of where the banks are going is that one, I think the banks want to be involved in Bitcoin. And two, the banks want to, the banks want to be your exchange and your, your custody agent for Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's what we're getting from this um, this Missouri bank called Sullivan. So first of all, the bank's been around since I think 1895, which it's is kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of interesting because it's like these old banks, like an old bank in uh, Switzerland or like Switzerland's oldest bank was eager to <laughs> adopt Bitcoin. And now we're starting to see this uh, this cooperation um, through uh, through backed holdings. B-A-K-K-T yep. holdings. And I'm drawing a blank on, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on, uh, who is the other company? NIDIG is doing all the yep. work with uh, with the other banks. So this was interesting that this was backed, not NIDIG. But essentially the bank is going to have insurance on Bitcoin, right? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, this is one of those adoption stories where, it is an early adoption story. It, um, it, it requires kind of a partnership between a traditional finance financial institution and a, and a Bitcoin focused institution. Um, it's not just the banks going out and doing it. They needed help doing it, but you know, we've talked about this and I, I know we've talked about it. I don't know if we've talked about it on, on here, but, um, you know, there's this idea that it's not, unreasonable to think that at some point you're going to log into your bank account and you're going to have, you know, now you might log in, you have a checking account and a savings account, maybe a money market account or a CD or whatever. So now you're going to log into your bank and you're going to see your checking account, your savings account and your Bitcoin account. Mm -hmm. And in the Bitcoin side of it is going to most likely in the, in kind of this iteration of how it works, going to be a custodial relationship where you don't actually hold the private keys. Um, it, it, they mentioned specifically in the article that it's not clear if you'll have the ability to store any of that Bitcoin offline in this case. Um, I mean, I would think if if it's actual Bitcoin that you should be able to send it somewhere, but at that point it's, it's outside of the bank. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But what I thought was really interesting is that they are insuring the custodial account for $125,000. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of, you know, acts like an FDIC type of product where it gives you some comfort that if something happens to that Bitcoin, um, you do have insurance to, you know, up to that amount. Yeah. And, and I think I'd like to mention, I don't know if we mentioned before, this is in, uh, this is, Sullivan Bank is in Missouri. So it's not like a New York bank or LA bank or anything like that. Um, 
and and you are able users are able to see the checking balance and their bitcoin balance in one app so mm-hmm. w- sort of what we what you thought and what we kind of predicted that that we would see i, I think this in I, I think this story in some ways shows just how early we are that this would be a thing right so yeah. we would never in the, you know if we're talking about like the world of finance you would never say uh uh, Sullivan Bank uh, is going to offer a Visa card. That's not sure. news. Right. So the fact that this is actually news shows, uh, I think, just how early we are. And early, early in many ways, but for the early part of this is that we are still at the part of the Bitcoin adoption cycle before all the banks are involved. And so I think you could use a test of saying, okay, is this something that we look back on in 10 years and say, I remember when you couldn't get Bitcoin at a bank. Right. Sure. Right. I, I think that's a, that's a pretty realistic, you know, idea that um, all of these things that we're seeing that are news stories today um, will seem like part of just, the general infrastructure not that long from now you could almost use that as a test right like mm-hmm. if i read this story 10 years from now or if i read the story in, in the future where we had full adoption would this seem silly and i think for this article and for the story you would definitely say, yeah that's that's not news that a bank is going to let you buy bitcoin is not news right i mean this uh, is to me this is like the equivalent of an article in you know the late 90s saying that a baseball game was broadcast over the internet Right, right. Or you could listen to, um, yeah, you could listen to a, a basketball game <laughs> through the internet. You know, you could stream yeah. music or something like that. Yeah, um, it's similar, and it just once again, it's you know, not to be repetitive, it it just shows that we we are very early. Yeah, and I, I did look it up. The uh, you know, it's the bank itself is about a half a billion dollar bank in terms of assets under management, like mm-hmm. 300, 300 billion in deposits, not tiny, mm-hmm. not huge, but mm-hmm. you know, a Midwest bank that's been around for a really long time. Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's an interesting story. And I think this is kind of a tester. They do it with a small bank first. Right. This is not a, a bank of America Pilot making the announcement. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's go to the next story. Um, next story from the Philippines. Um, the second country we're going to talk about tonight. The uh, Union Bank of the Philippines is going to offer crypto trading and custodial services. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to see this one. We haven't seen the Philippines come up much. Mm -hmm. And Union Bank is one of the Philippines' largest banks. So you're talking about like, you know, in terms of uh, the Philippines, like of a Bank of America, Wells Fargo, fifteen bank. billion in you know fifteen billion in assets. So um, you know, obviously much smaller than a than a Chase or a Bank of America, but you know, many times larger than the Missouri Bank we just talked about. And also, you have to go country to country. So this is you know, you can't compare the largest banks in the United States to the largest of banks course. in the Philippines, uh, but. It just shows that it's this. This is spreading globally. To me, the story is more about the Philippines. That mm-hmm. the Philippines are now in the in the discussion because we haven't really seen them come up much. At least I haven't. And uh, I don't know what their. I, I still don't know what these banks' objectives are, except that I the only thing that I can come to from this is that everyone kind of realizes that this is the future. Well, that was in the article. The, uh, the quote from the actual uh, bank executive mm-hmm. was that this is a way to future proof our banking business. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. I mean, the banks, I, I, I think, and I don't know if this is accurate cause I don't work at a bank, but maybe the banks are nervous they could get left out of the future. They see this other thing coming, right? And people essentially have, the bank is is almost an app on people's phone now, right? You don't need, you don't need the brick and mortar 
um, resources that a bank provides to you. Yeah. And also people in the Philippines are pretty poor. Um, yeah, but it did say in the article also that, uh, roughly, you know, the average Filipino has one to 2% of their assets in some sort of cryptocurrency. And they think that will, you know, more than double over the next few years. Yeah. It also talked about how the, uh, this is something that we, we talked about a couple of the prior episodes that, uh, Teenagers and other people who play video games are mm-hmm. earning crypto through playing video games. And that's one of the ways they get it. Sure. And also one more thing in here. We also saw the uh, uh, the company Medico, I think that's how you pronounce it, M-E-T-A-C-O, yep. is involved in this. And um, IBM Cloud. Yeah, that's, that is... Um... How is IBM Cloud involved? I didn't quite get that part. I'm not sure. You know? Yeah. No, no, um, I don't know. But but what we do know is that uh, do we know do we know if this is Bitcoin only or if this is crypto? Um, I want to say it was, and I may be mixing up my articles, but I want to say it was Bitcoin and Ethereum. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I do see that their their central bank doesn't like it. That's that's a new one. I didn't know central banks <laughs> did not like uh, Bitcoin. Yeah. So we'll see. But but uh, welcome to the party, Philippines. Yeah. There you go. All right. Next one. Uh, these next two are are kind of similar. Um, stories, but uh, MasterCard and Binance are uh, high widespread adoption of crypto payment solutions. So um, this was a, uh, a story about the, um, the a partnership between Binance and MasterCard to be able to provide um, a crypto-based credit card um, to, to customers in Argentina. That's our third country, right? So the, there have been credit cards in the past. Uh, the crypto.com card came out in 2018, mm-hmm. but I believe that is a prepaid card. That's right. That was a card where you could convert Bitcoin into fiat currency that you could then spend on the card. Mm-hmm where we're not exactly sure what this is, but this does not seem like a prepaid card. No, it's, it seems to be using the MasterCard network. Um, how that's you know happening in terms of conversion between Bitcoin or whatever crypto is being spent into whatever the local currency is, is, is not totally clear. Um, but it seems that it's, it's more about um, being able to use MasterCard's payment network to use to pay using cryptocurrency. So, is it supposed? To, is it using MasterCard's network, or is it using it's some kind of custom or different blockchain? Because I know they were talking about potentially using the, the reason Binance involved is because they may be using the Binance network for this, which would mean that if they're using the can you do you can't do Bitcoin on the Binance network. You know, no, well, kind of wrap Bitcoin or something. Yeah. BNB yeah. is a, is a, it's, it's a token. token yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. Um, I think that, um, again, you know, a lot of these stories, sometimes they come out and they're just a lot of institutions saying that they, that they are working on something, which is also another really good sign of how early this is. This is not them announcing what they did. They're just talking about this idea that they have on how they're going to implement a crypto payment solution without any real uh, robust details on exactly what that means. Um, Mm -hmm. But in general, what it, what it implies is that they're going to be teaming up with Binance to allow Binance I would imagine Binance customers who are holding cryptocurrency on that platform to be able to convert that um, into a payment using using MasterCard. Mm. I'd like to read a quote here from their CEO. So MasterCard CEO is Michael Maybach. And here's his quote. 
We can unlock the full potential of blockchain technology when we make it easier to access and easier to use. One way to do that is by bringing crypto to everyday purchases. To make that a reality, we're working with Binance to let people use their crypto to make purchases at 90 million plus stores that accept MasterCard. So MasterCard is accepted by 90 million plus stores uh, worldwide. Mm-hmm. And it, it's this is coming from the CEO of MasterCard that they want you to use MasterCard. MasterCard wants to be involved in the crypto transaction, right? They don't want to be left out either, just like the banks. It's like <laughs> you don't need a bank. You can do the same way that you don't need MasterCard to make a purchase. You can do all that in an app on your phone. So right. I mean, this, you need a bank. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to, uh, to you know, some of the things that Strike is doing mm-hmm. in terms of using the either the Lightning Network or the Bitcoin Network as the payment rails. Um, you know, MasterCard certainly doesn't. They'll view that as a threat for sure because mm-hmm. you're talking about you know a network that they're able to charge their customers three percent to accept payments on, um, convert potentially converting over to something that's more or less free. Um, so I think it makes sense from that standpoint that they're like, well, we got to get in on, on some of, some of that action because mm-hmm. it, it could be, you know, eating our lunch otherwise. Yeah. I think almost both these stories might be sort of people thinking about things in terms of the old system and mm-hmm. how these kind of legacy financial companies can, can try and stay relevant in what, we, what everyone thinks is the upcoming financial system. Sure. And one of the things that hasn't really been disrupted by the internet is the banking system. You know, yeah, it's actually, get, it's probably been helped by the internet. If, if anything, agreed. Know, I was think, agreed. I was saying the same thing. It just, it just gave them a, a better technology, but it wasn't, wasn't like the yellow pages or payphone or long distance or so many other industries that were really, you know, some of them were just wiped out by the sure. internet or, or certainly impact in some, some kind of meaningful way, whether it be positive or negative. And so some ways I view this as, like I said, the legacy just trying to hang on, but I still view that as something very positive because while there are people that are, I guess they call them like Bitcoin maximalists that, you know, only want things to be one certain way. The reality is that that's not how life works. Right. Um, and and even if even if people think this MasterCard thing is kind of a kind of silly or you know not really meaningful, it is because I think there are two things in the story that make it meaningful. One is it's MasterCard. It's one of the biggest payment platforms in the world. And number two, it's Argentina. Mm-hmm. So another country. And there was something interesting in that article, which was saying that Argentina, crypto or Bitcoin, those type of things are, are very popular in Argentina because they've had a horrible, uh, fin- you know, a horrible- uh, Crazy inflation, yeah. Yeah, fi- they had a financial crisis in the 90s, and then they had a record debt default in 2001, and, and they've had a lot of issues. So the people there are, are not like Americans who don't understand why you would ever need a better money and they've never seen anything really bad happen to their money since they've been alive. Sure. These are people that have seen it happen you know, about 20 years ago, maybe uh, 10 years before that too. So the past 30 years, they've had a number of events and that makes people think about things differently. Yeah. They, um, they want those escape hatches um, when they become available for sure. Mm-hmm. They've also seen their money go to zero. Right. So, so there are people living that have seen their money go to zero. And I think there are things in, in the U S that we could compare to that. So like, uh, the dot-com crash of 2000, Mm -hmm. a lot of people lost 50%, 60%, 70% of their money in the stock market. And that was considered a catastrophe. Right. But, um, in Argentina, you've seen your money go, you know, you've seen what would be, let's just use say a dollar, become nearly worthless, like less than, 
you know, less than a dime or less, whatever. Yeah. Less, yeah, less than a penny, whatever it is. So this is a country that's seen um, how things can get bad and how their currency can be devalued very quickly. So this is in their mind. This is something that they are latching onto. And we're seeing that in other parts of South America, of course. Yeah. Well, here comes the next story. Mm-hmm, exactly. Brazil, who we've talked about a lot. They've, you know, Brazil has a lot, a lot going on um, in this space. It seems like they, but they've also got a, um, a, a good compelling case as to why their people might want to adopt something like Bitcoin. Um, you know, we've talked about this. There's no real middle class there. You've got a lot of, mm-hmm. it's got, you know, it's got the most billionaires in South America and the uh, lowest average wage in South America at the same time. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's uh, it's that type of dynamic where um, you've got a lot of people who really can't afford to have their money get, you know, eroded away with inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, well, at least it, it, it's an app on their phone that lets them buy something real. Like yeah. these are people that are mostly unbanked. So people that didn't really have a way to store anything. They couldn't certainly couldn't use any kind of electronic payment, mm-hmm. but they couldn't really like couldn't buy anything. They couldn't buy real estate for sure. Unlikely they could buy gold or precious coins. And even if they did, how are you going to hold on to it? Right. right? If you're, you know, certain areas, it's like if you're in a poor area and someone knows you've got something, um, with enough population density, you'll find someone that wants to take it away from you. Sure. Crime is definitely a problem. Crime is an issue everywhere. So um, so this is another South American country. This is Brazil. This is our fourth mm-hmm. country of this yep. episode, right? And this is Visa, the kind of the, the, the Pepsi to MasterCards Coke or vice versa. Sure. You want to say. Yeah, this is this is a prepaid card, um, but the card has offers five percent um, rebate in Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and you can use this on. You can use this worldwide, right? You can use this at any place where Visa is accepted. Yes, yes, that is right. true. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, this is also an off ramp. If you want to convert your, if you want to spend your Bitcoin, this is a, another off ramp that's there. And this is an off-ramp being provided by Visa. This is a little different than the MasterCard. Sure. Right? Well, sort of- yeah, with, with it being a prepaid card um, mm-hmm. and and it's not a, um, I think it is, well, it's allowing you to, um, to basically load Bitcoin onto a card that you can then spend like any other Visa card. So um, mm-hmm. I would imagine that, one thing that's nice about it is that it's not, you know, you're not subject to the, to the fluctuations of Bitcoin. After you load the money onto the card, you pick mm-hmm. a point in time, you load it onto the card, and then you can spend that amount of, of fiat currency at that point. Um, so that's, that part of it, I think is kind of interesting, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, th- they're expecting like, I don't know, I think it's a 250,000 users that are going to, they're going to be using this thing by the end of the year. Mm, interesting. Now, there's there are a couple of American solutions too. I forgot the name of the largest one. You probably will remember it. I think they're based in Atlanta. Um, are you talking about BitPay? Is it BitPay? Well, BitPay enables the do- crypto payments for. But you could. They have a prepaid Visa card. I think that that may be mm-hmm. it, yeah. There's also MoonPay, which has the virtual mm-hmm. prepaid Visa card. Right. So we've had this in the U.S. for some time now. But um, but again, five percent cash back. Um, I mean, most you know, I, I don't think most uh, reward programs are offering five percent back, much less five percent in Bitcoin. No, but that 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 uh, rewards is only until the end of October. It's a temporary. It's like a teaser. No, so it's not a permanent thing. Um, but it, I think it's kind of funny here because with with these prepaid cards and all this kind of stuff, it's it's like Visa is just making sure they still get their fees. 
sure, we'll let you load up the sure. card. No problem. <laughs> right. yeah. Because once it gets swiped, that merchant is going to pay the Visa network. So, right. uh, so they're encouraged to do this. That's why they're yeah. they're there and letting people use their networks. Well, that's because, you know, in, in the context of something like the Lightning Network, they are the yellow pages. Right. Right. So they're trying to they're trying to protect their turf in a way. Um, and it's one of those that uh, it makes sense for them to. It's actually a, a pretty smart way for both Visa and MasterCard to preempt some of that, you know, erosion of their customer base. That's going to inevitably come when things move over to that other payment rail. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I wonder what their, uh, their, uh, their vision is for how this is going to play out, but we're certainly seeing a lot of stuff going back to Brazil. We're certainly seeing a lot of stuff in Brazil. Uh, we had, uh, I think their banking giant Santander mm -hmm. and, uh, new BTG, bank, BTG Pactual, new bank, uh, XP, that was mm -hmm. like their uh, brokerage, like a Schwab, TD Ameritrade yep. type brokerage. So there's something going on in uh, in Brazil. I know we talked about kind of getting to the bottom of it, but a lot of adoption going on there. A lot of adoption. All right, let's go. Um, we've got another country, Australia. So Australia is looking at rolling out a Bitcoin ETF, um, something that has not happened here in the U.S., but uh, it sounds like there's going to be one in, uh, in Australia. And it's already been approved, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So, you know this is one of the things we talk about the differences between like internet adoption and Bitcoin adoption. Mm -hmm. The internet didn't have governments and government organizations that were trying to stop it or trying to yeah. slow it down more than stop it, I would say. So we know that when we set talk about it still so early, this is the, I remember when, when Australia didn't have a Bitcoin ETF. Right. And so I would kind yeah. of equate that to like a, a like a S&P 500 mutual fund mm -hmm. or um, the uh, the exchange trade to fund. Well, it's actually an ETF. When I remember when those came out, like the Qs for uh, for the NASDAQ or SPY for the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. And this is the i remember when we didn't have it i remember when the us didn't have a spot bitcoin etf can't say for sure we're going to get there but i think it's fairly likely and actually the government's being sued right now by grayscale for not approving it yeah so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out but yeah i think i think uh to your point that you know the etfs by themselves are are not um not terribly old products i mean they you know they've been around for I, I remember when, you know, ETFs came around, it wasn't that long ago. Um, and so um, it's one of those things where there's, there's not a ton of, uh, of good reasoning why it hasn't been approved here. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out here, but, uh, but it looks like uh, it will happen in Australia. And again, you know, if, if developed countries, other than the U S approve these kind of things, it's going to get harder and harder for them not to. Yeah. And we also can see if we kind of step back a bit, just how these are stories from this week. Yeah. So we're talking about Australia, the Philippines thought I may have seen something from Malaysia. I don't think we have that story tonight, but I think I saw something going on in Malaysia. It's just, there, um, yeah. there's, there's a change going on around the world. Most people aren't paying attention. Most people do not know these things. I would even say a lot of people in the Bitcoin community are not paying attention to this. I think so many people are so hyper-focused on price that they're not seeing what's really happening. And what's really happening is going to affect the price of Bitcoin. Sure. Just going to take a little while. Um, mm -hmm. And again, you know, when you look at all of these things, I think that you can see that the the acceleration of the technology and the adoption of the 
of the technology is somewhat decoupled from the price at this point. Um, it's moving a lot mm. faster than, than the price. Mm -hmm. Well, I think a lot of these things were put in place months, months and months ago, sure, maybe sure. even a year ago where, where things looked a little different, you know, when we were sort of in this raging bull cycle, as opposed to, I guess what's being labeled right now is like uh, the crypto winter. Yeah. And we'll just have to see. I mean, it's, it's just, it's regardless of how it plays out, we know that certain things are happening. And we also know that big banks can kill these things. They don't have to release it. You can say, okay, well, we, we, you know, we, we decided nine months ago, we're going to create a, a spot Bitcoin ETF in Australia. There's no demand for it. The market conditions aren't right. We're not going to launch it. We'll wait sure. to, We'll wait six months to launch it. So mm -hmm. the reality is, is and I think this is saying that you like during you build during the bear markets. Yep. And that's what we're seeing. I agree. Um, so that was uh, so Australia was the the next country, and and I think the um, one of the articles we looked at that that we ended up not putting in here, but it was a uh, a luxury resort group that I hadn't heard of. Um, that's now going to be accepting. Uh, crypto payments. Um, and they had resorts in like, it was in, in Asia, you know, the Maldives and Thailand, um, and, and parts of parts of Asia that, are, that have, you know, luxury resorts and tropical areas. And the, the one thing that was interesting about that, that's a little different than when we've talked about other like travel destinations, accepting Bitcoin was that they made the point that, you know, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons they're doing it is because it allows people from anywhere in the world to be able to pay them without having to, you know, worry, worry about how to pay them. Um, that whole borderless payment mm -hmm. um, aspect came up, um, which, you know, I, I think, and like we said, we, we go through so many stories and have to just pick the ones that we that we want to talk about. And we didn't talk about that one. But again, you know, you're talking about multiple countries there. And the fact that, not only are there multiple countries with different, you know, adoption news every week. And so, you know, this week, I think we just had what five or six countries that we talked about. Um, it's also that as more countries come on board, those countries can now, you know, transact with the other countries that have adopted it seamlessly. Mm -hmm. And so that's not really something that, that, exist today in terms of being able to just make payments cross border, you know, without any, any intermediaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, if you travel to a foreign country, my advice for anyone traveling to a foreign country is get some of the foreign country's currency before you leave the airport, mm -hmm. whether you get it, you know, regardless if you get it in a domestic airport or foreign airport, before you step foot outside of a foreign airport, you should make sure that you have cash, that 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 country's cash or currency on you. Mm -hmm. You know, you, it's not safe to to be in a, a country where you just have your credit cards. And I guess you get by on some American dollars, but um, that's just always a smart thing to do. And I, I know that there are people that go to El Salvador and intentionally do not have cash on them, intentionally go there looking to pay with Bitcoin and are able sure. to pay with Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. That, I, I think that feeds see. into your point, which is that uh, it, 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 it gets rid of some of those. I don't know what you call them, like money borders. I don't have a better name for them. But like you, you, sure. your, I mean, your paper money doesn't work here. Like in your country, that's worth a lot. Here, that's not worth much. Like, we don't right. take that. Um, yeah. Um, and, and as as ubiquitous as dollars are um, in terms of being able to transact, you know, around the world, there are, I've been in foreign countries where they don't take dollars. You know, you can't yeah, just walk, you, you can't just walk in somewhere and assume that they're going to take, you know, whatever your local currency is. And, um, and, and from that standpoint, you know, we're, we're spoiled with dollars. There are, are many other currencies that, you know, mm -hmm. wouldn't even have a possibility of being accepted in other places. So um, this does really remove some of that friction and it allows you to travel. Um, you know, you can take as much money as you want 
to anywhere you want with uh, with just a few words memorized in your head. Mm. Yeah, be uh, so you know is one of the reasons you should have currency on you is so that you can pay the cab driver to take you to right. wherever you're going because they won't accept it. And so you could go to Argentina and potentially a cab driver there would accept dollars. They'd probably be fairly happy to get dollars actually. Mm-hmm. But if you, uh, I don't know what Argentina's money is. I don't know what it's called, but if you were, do you know what it's called? Um, no, I don't we could find out a couple of clicks, but, but regardless, if you were to show up, let's say you, you land peso. peso. Okay. That was my so, guess. Honestly. So if you were to land in New York City, right? And I don't know how many pesos there are to the dollar, but let's just say you were to offer a New York cab driver $1,000 worth of Argentine pesos to take you to your hotel. Do you think you're going to get there for that? Right. No. They're Very unlikely. Gonna, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, it has no value from that standpoint. Mm. Almost looks fake. You ever right. seen that? You go to a foreign country and it's like, oh, look at their mm. funny money. <laughs> Some of the monies are really pretty around the world. We we yeah. have pretty ugly money, actually, I think. Yes, I agree. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that the idea of borderless payments is going to, uh, it's going to appeal to a lot of people. Especially in the, I think, the South American countries and the African countries, more so than the richer countries. For sure. Um, all right, you want to go to the next story? Sure. Uh, we're we're now into the sports section, like we like like we mm-hmm. tend to do. Uh, so, well, the, well, the sports teams. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the sports yeah. teams are adopting it. Like we're seeing it. It's it's in that cycle. They 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 meet our criteria of being in that week, and mm-hmm. um, they're also sports are a giant part of culture. They are, and I also think that at least in in some of these instances, you know, when you're talking about something, this article, so the, you know, the Houston Texans announcing that um, you can buy a suite for a game using Bitcoin. um, I think a lot of those types of stories are, this, this falls into the luxury item category that we talk about a lot, you know, Mm. where, where you see luxury fashion brands and watchmakers accepting crypto. This is the type of thing where, I think some of it has to do with the fact that you've got um, people willing to spend a lot of money. And it just so happens that plenty of people that have a lot of money, some of that is in crypto or Bitcoin. Um, and so so that could be some of the motivating factor. Um, I think also what you see in sports is that you've got, in, at least in U.S. professional sports, you've got a lot of athletes who um, make a lot of money and a lot of them are, uh, are very much into, into Bitcoin. I mean, you know, go back to the, uh, Bitcoin conference in Miami, there were, uh, multiple athletes, you know, on the stage mm-hmm. talking about their involvement mm-hmm. in, in the space. So, so I think that's another thing is that there is something in the culture of professional sports where you've got athletes that are into it, you know, their fans therefore get into it. And so it becomes a little bit more, um, part of that, uh, that culture. Yeah. I've got a bit of a different take on it. I think it's, uh, I think it's somewhat irrelevant and relevant all at the same time. Meaning I think this is just a way for whatever payment platform is going to process it to get a press release out there. And they go to the teams, they say, Hey, would you like to take, uh, you know, we have a platform where you can take crypto and people can, you know, you don't want to do it for your normal game tickets because there are too many transactions there. But if someone wants to buy a $10,000 suite for a game, we can make it so that they could use their crypto and we're going to instantly convert that to dollars. And then you can be one of the the pioneers that your team is is doing it because the Texans wouldn't do it if if they didn't want their name out there. And the Texans now become the second team in the NFL, along with the Tennessee Titans, mm-hmm. that accept Bitcoin. And I'm assuming other crypto because it's really just this this payment processor. And I'm not sure who the payment processor is here. It's it's not BitPay. It's uh, it's BitWallet. Bit, BitWallet. Okay. So to me, this is well. There are a couple of things that we know are happening. If if indeed the Houston Texans 
are are have some kind of arrangement with Bit Wallet, and this is true, then it does mean that you can pay for for certain things, whether it's a suite or something else, with the Houston Texans. Meaning the Houston Texans are on board. Mm-hmm. But like the other sports stories, I don't think this is a particularly meaningful thing to them. I don't think they're particularly passionate about it, but it is showing the things that you're able to do. If you want something to be money or if you want something to have value, you've got to be able to do things with it. And this is one of the arguments a lot of the Bitcoin critics have, like you can't buy anything with it. Right. I think I saw that like early 2020 and it may have been Paul Krugman again, but that guy's basically wrong. He's wrong on everything. He's 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 kind of take the opposite of whatever he says. Um, and his thing was like, you can't buy anything with it. And then the whole thing was like big news. You could buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. Right. And now you can buy, now you can buy something with it, which is kind of ridiculous because you could have bought things with it before. But what we're seeing is we're seeing a steady stream of other things that you can buy with not just Bitcoin, but with other crypto. And that's coming through the payment processors like BitPay or BitWallet. Yeah. And well, the other ones and- that are there. Yeah. And to tie this back to some of the things we were talking about earlier in terms of how early we are, you know, this is a do you remember when scenario where you might say, do you remember when the only thing you could buy at a Houston Texans game using Bitcoin was a suite for a game? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so it is kind of a it's almost a one off type of thing where you're not they're not saying they're going to accept Bitcoin to buy a beer at the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it is a bigger ticket item. Um, I also will be curious to see, you know, do we see BitWallet uh, advertisements start to pop up on the boards at the Texan games? I don't know. Um, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'm going to watch, <laughs> I, I'll watch the Texans game now just to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, but I think, you know, so I think there is some marketing aspect to it as well. Um, like you said, it is good publicity for BitWallet to say that you can that they're facilitating the ability to to you know pay for football tickets. Um, but again, I think it's uh, it's an early adoption story. You know, one, being able to do one thing at at two football teams stadiums does not really uh, show that that we're we're down the adoption road very far. It shows just how early we are. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, let's uh, go here. So this is a soccer story. Um, Villarreal is going to have a uh, crypto exchange partner. Zumax. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is uh, this team is not as big as some of the other teams we've seen. Although they did make it to the semifinals of the Champions League recently, and they did mm-hmm. win, I think, like the UEFA Cup. They they're not a particularly big team. They they had kind of this weird miraculous win of the I think it was the UEFA Cup, some kind of Europe Cup, uh, where I think they beat. I think they beat. I'm going from memory. Manchester United. It was a tie, one one, and they went to like penalty kicks and it was 11 to 10 something like that <laughs> penalty kicks they for for a pretty small team they had like this miracle win and but like the other ones like the other stories we've had like this these these crypto exchanges have apparently money to spend on marketing obviously like significant amounts of money that they want to spend on marketing and branding and being on a, 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 a soccer jersey is a, a very, very good way to get your name out. A, sure. a really great yeah. way for, particularly for the, fa- you know, every fan of that team will know your name. And it's hard not to see if, if you're just watching the sport and you see uh, a team that's, that's playing your team, it's hard not to notice uh, what's on the back or on the front of people's jerseys. Sure. I always, I always notice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Always, yeah. So I don't think this is the most meaningful thing, but, 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 but the fact that it's not that meaningful is meaningful, right? In that, <laughs> yeah. okay, well, this is just Villarreal. We've already had, oh, just we've already had uh, Man City involved in this. So, you know, one of the, the right. absolute top teams in the world, and so it's just it's another. I, I could say it's more like another drop in the bucket. 
but yeah. every drop is is important. Well, and then and the other thing that we've talked about with soccer is that it is it is truly a global sport, mm-hmm. and so it's really smart for the the exchanges to to you know support and promote themselves through soccer, especially when you're talking about you know higher level soccer with international players. I mean, you know, I'm pretty much only aware of MLS here in the U S cause mm-hmm. I just don't really follow it. And, mm-hmm. and that's considered to be like, you know, some of the, some of the worst soccer in the world compared to these other leagues. And so these leagues, not only do they have huge followings wherever their, you know, teams are located, but they have players on the teams from all over the world. So you've mm-hmm. got, you know, people in, in, Latin America who are cheering on their countrymen who are playing, you know, soccer in, in England or Spain or Germany or whatever. So it's kind of this, you know, cross border marketing platform that kind of ties into what we were talking about before that if you want to advertise borderless money um, it's really smart to do it with a borderless sport. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And then also people buy these jerseys. These jerseys are mm-hmm. extremely popular. So you're, it's not just the players that are wearing your brand. It's you. Absolutely. Right. You're wearing the zoom X brand on your shirt. And unless you're really not curious, like really a real, like a particularly not curious, like a bizarrely not curious person, you want to find out what that is. You just look into it. Usually, yeah. usually, usually you would at least know what it is. Whether you want yeah. to use it or not use it is a different story. I would agree. I think if you're a fan and you see ZoomX and you don't know what it is, you're probably going to type that into your phone search engine to find out what it is. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, yeah. And what what uh, Villarreal is Spain, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so, we had another Spain story, uh, which it was uh, was one of the Madrid teams. Yeah, well, we had uh, Atletico Madrid. Atletico Madrid, three ter- yeah. number three team there. Yeah, yeah. But w- once again, we step back. People need to step back. Don't, don't, don't focus on the price. It doesn't tell you a whole lot, and there are a lot of things that are affecting it. But well, I guess the price is important if you really care about it on a day to day basis. Like if you if you're looking to cash out or you're, you you have a need to get out quickly. But um, you're, if you're, if you're, and I know there are people that bought in and made a lot and, you know, there, there, there are certainly a lot of crypto millionaires out there. Let's not, and For billionaires, sure. let's not kid ourselves. But, but that's not, that's not like a particularly thoughtful pursuit. I don't like to say that Bitcoin is an investment because I think it's, it's kind of a weird thing, but in a lot of ways, I guess it kind of is an investment. I mean, I, I think that probably 99 plus percent of the people that put their money in Bitcoin are putting it there because they are hoping it will go up in value, not just maintain right. value, but go up in value. And and part of the reason for that is one, it's historically done. That's been the best performing asset since its inception. Mm-hmm. Um, although that can be a bit misleading because of course it'd be the best performing asset in some ways because it started from less than zero. Right. It's, it's, right. When it goes from zero to, you know, anything that's, that's incredible performance. Mm-hmm. But, but, yeah. but I, but I would say that, you know, we don't tell people to buy Bitcoin. We tell people to study Bitcoin, but if someone did say they were buying Bitcoin, my advice would be, well, don't, I wouldn't touch, I don't plan on touching that for at least five years. Make sure that you yeah. at least have, one of the having cycles covered, right? So five years would ensure that you have at least one having cycle covered. Yep. And, you know, we, when we went down to Miami for this recent conference, I think the most impactful conversation I had with anyone was Pete Rizzo. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could get him on the show. And he's been around right. Bitcoin since like 2010, super, super, super early. He's just like, he's seen all of the cycles. Mm-hmm. And I did not believe that we were going to see. I, I thought the cycles were, I was not a believer in the cycles. I still don't know if I am because just because something's happened twice is certainly not evidence. It's going to happen a third or fourth time. It's going to repeat like that. Sure. But, but 
and I think he could kind of tell that I wasn't kind of a believer. And obviously he's, he's more knowledgeable than we are. He's just got more experience. He's been doing it longer as we, 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 we are humble enough to know that, that there is a gap between <laughs> uh, the, the miles that Pete Rizzo has traveled and, and the miles we have traveled in the space. And he, I remember when we were talking to him, he's like, you don't believe in the cycles. <laughs> I was like, well, I, I believe in the cycles, but you know, I just think that this is a different time because you know you can't compare. I think it's it's can't compare like pre Michael Saylor Bitcoin to post Michael Saylor Bitcoin in some ways, and you can't compare like you know pre Mt. Gox to post Mt. Gox failure, and you yeah. can't compare like pre Silk Road to post. It. There's just a lot of things going on and block and size work, all of that. Yeah. Of course, all that stuff. And and now we're, we're talking about stories where, you know, we've got, it's, it's worldwide adoption and big companies like the oldest bank in Missouri doing this or one of the oldest <laughs> banks in Missouri, the oldest bank in Switzerland. You're just seeing these, these old, old legacy financial institutions starting to adopt this and trying to adopt it and visa and mastercard and, and, and you realize that uh, this is a different world. And so I thought, well, you know, it's just going to, you always think that other, when other people figure out what you figured out, that they'll make the same decision or that they'll realize that, that Bitcoin is like this incredible, it's one that, in my opinion, is one of the world's greatest inventions. I agree. It's really just this 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 remarkable thing, and it, and when what is that thing? It's, it's even hard to, to to define what that thing is. Certainly, in a way that that average people could understand. So, um, I kind of lost my point there, unfortunately. <laughs> but I remember, you know, like I said, that 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 impactful thing. I still keep thinking back to that moment where, where we were said like, "You don't believe in the cycles." And, and I even think that that part just shows just how early this still is, where Bitcoin has still these wild fluctuations and it's not, it's not glo it's, it's accepted globally, but only starting to be, it doesn't have, it can't get a spot ETF in the U S all the banks sure. don't have it yet. There's still a lot mm -hmm. to work out with this. And so going back to our theme for this episode, it's still early. It, it is definitely very early. And um, when you were talking about, you know, the cycles, like I, I think that a lot of people were expecting to come into this last having, um, you know, thinking things were going to thinking that they could predict kind of where we would end up um, by the next having. And and I think that maybe what we're seeing now is there are maybe more externalities that are impacting price than there were in the first couple of cycles. Um, I think that it's more subject to things other than just, you know, people buying and selling it um, on, on open markets. I think that, but again, that goes along with adoption because some of these issues where we've seen price, you know, go up or down are now being affected because of things happening, you know, whether it's politically or just, um, you know, we saw, for example, when uh, when I, I just saw I saw today, actually, when they announced that uh, I don't know if this is a correlation, but I saw that when they announced this student uh, loan forgiveness program, the price of Bitcoin shot up for for a few minutes there. And, you know, you could argue that that's that there is a correlation because that is an inflationary type of thing mm -hmm. that could that could cause people to say, I want to put some money here. Um, you know, in order to protect it from this $300 billion of inflation that's going to occur over some period of time. So I think that there may be some element of things happening in society, having more of an impact on how people view it. And, and so it makes it a little harder to predict where it's going to land. Um, but I also think that, you know, I'm not worried about what's, what it's going to look like in five years from that standpoint. And, and again, like you said, we don't tell people to buy Bitcoin. We tell them to understand it and study it and decide if they want to buy it. But if you, you know, if you are not 
willing to consider the idea of holding it long-term, then, you know, you really need to think about your, your level of risk tolerance. And, and if you can handle, mm-hmm. you know, these, these short-term fluctuations, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, this is one of the reasons we think it's a, it's, it's potentially a good investment inside of a retirement plan. I mean, I have mm-hmm. Bitcoin in my IRA. Um, and so if you're able to have a, uh, a lower time preference in that sense, then uh, you might might end up being able to weather mm-hmm. some of that volatility a lot better. Mm-hmm. There's also the there's been a lot of Bitcoin coming off the exchanges lately. Mm-hmm. I was gonna I was thinking about pulling some of the numbers on that, uh, but it's at uh, I think I think over the past like five six months, like three to four hundred thousand Bitcoin have come off the exchanges, leaving about two million. Not hundred yeah. percent sure on those numbers, but um, I saw some the other day. Just seeing how much Bitcoin's coming off the exchanges, and to me, that's one of my key metrics because the 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 more Bitcoin that comes off the exchanges, the more the price rises. The more Bitcoin that goes back onto the exchanges, the price falls because it goes onto the exchange because people mm-hmm. are selling. It comes off the exchange because people are holding onto it in usually cold storage. Or the shit yeah. out of cold storage, but but they're not leaving it on the exchanges. So, um, well, maybe that's uh, that's something we could talk about on the next episode. Is is mm-hmm. what's happening on on the exchange side of things, and um, and also I think you know we've seen very recently very strong cases for why you shouldn't leave your Bitcoin on an exchange. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Certainly. Once again, it's still so early. People just figuring this out. It's just still at an early part. Yep. Even even uh, I even think that seven years from now, seven years from now, it'd be two thousand twenty nine. Okay. I think that's that's still fairly early. Although I think around two thousand twenty nine, two thousand thirty, in that area, we're it's hard to imagine where the adoption will be, especially if we're going at the same the pace we're going now. Yeah, and you're you know you're still talking about um, less less than ten years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, all right. Anything else? No. All right. Well, I will uh, tell everyone where they can find us. So, uh, website is btcbutlers dot com. Uh, Twitter at btcbutlers. You can email us info at btcbutlers.com. Our DMs are open on Twitter. Um, As Michael said in the beginning, if you enjoyed this, please like, subscribe, download, um, tell your friends, comment. Uh, We're always happy to have comments and and we'll address anything we can that that is posted on on either our podcast videos or on Twitter or whatever. Um, And you know, Bitcoin Butlers is also available to help you um, implement best practices as a Bitcoin owner, whether that's buying Bitcoin, properly storing your Bitcoin, setting up an inheritance plan for your Bitcoin, running your own node. Uh, these are all things that we can help you do, and we would love to help you do it. Um, as I said, the email is info at btcbutlers.com, or you can contact us through our website, and uh, we'd love to help you. Thank you, Matt. All right. Thank you. Talk to you later. Until next time. Bye.